Right, so today, I actually forgot that I was teaching this course. So uh, I thought, for some reason, I thought today was the prayer meeting. So thankfully, you know, I kind of just was able to kind of um, put stuff together. So that's why I'm, I'll be teaching from my phone. So excuse me if I kind of mispronounce words because my eyesight is kind of bad. But um, this is the last class on uh, our discipleship course seminar. And I hope that it's been a blessing to you as much as it's been a blessing to me. And I encourage you to go on our website and listen to some of the um, some of the lessons that were taught that you may have missed. And in this final week, uh, we, we kind of want to touch on two final subjects. Um, the dangers of discipling, both to the discipler and the disciple, and the, the great joy that God gives us in discipling others. So the, the dangers and the joys. And we'll, we'll kind of go over seven dangers of discipling. Uh, now, thinking about the dangers of discipling, we are, we are going to consider seven dangers for discipling relationships. As we walk through these dangers, think specifically of a, a discipling relationship. You have to consider where these attitudes have kind of encroached. What are negative characteristics that discipling could cultivate in the heart of a discipler? Let's kind of start by considering four dangers kind of to start off with, for the discipler. Self-importance. And as I kind of list these seven dangers, I'll state the problem with the danger and kind of a correction to the problem. We place ourselves on a, a spiritual pedestal. We see ourselves as important because we are meeting with and influencing another younger Christian. We are tempted to think through our, our prowls, right, our gifts and strategies and time and energy, we have changed the life of another person. We might attribute uh, changes in their actions, right, in their perspectives through what we told them. Again, the first thing is like self-importance. And so uh, that, that, that's the problem, right? Here, here's the correction. The Apostle Paul saw tremendous changes in the lives of other Christians through his work. But look at how he described himself in spite of that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9 and 10, Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. Though I worked harder than them all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. You know, when we are tempted to think of our hard work and how it's transformed people, we are reminded that it's God's grace who changes people. Again, it is God's grace who changes people. Remember that both you and your friend are both sinners, and it is purely by God's grace that you are both Brother, that you both came to love Christ and that you both grow in Christ. God's grace had a clear effect on your life. So also God will use you as a means to point younger believers to Christ. And again, ultimately, it's not you, but it's God's grace that transforms them. As disciples, we need to kind of follow Paul's example and remind ourselves that our strength, teaching, and wisdom comes from God. A reference verse will be, uh, James chapter 1, verse 7. James says, Every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. 
Second danger is self-reliance. You know, the problem with this is that we can kind of get caught up in our disciple relationships and we forget to turn to God for answers. We are are quick to give answers right off the top of our heads, right? We are so preoccupied with and maybe overwhelmed by the nitty-gritty details, sins, and struggles of horizontal relationships that we kind of, we don't turn vertically to look for our grace and strength that is meant to equip us. We forget to ask like uh, questions like, uh, what is God doing in your life? So that's the problem. There's a way to correct it. As disciples, right, we need to turn to God quickly and rely on him. Be slow to give answers, quick to listen, and quick to turn to God in prayer. We are made to be dependent on God. And as a disciple, consistently remind yourself of your need for God and um, above and everything else you need for God, well, everyone's need for God in this world. You kind of ask yourself questions like, um, am I sharing my own opinion too quickly? Have I taken some time to search the scripture to see what God might have to say in this situation? You know, self-reliance can quickly promote um, less careful responses to our discipling friend struggles. Reliance on God promotes more careful and Christ-centered responses to our friends' uh, difficult situations. That was the second one. Here's the third one. Don't be program-minded. The problem with that is, uh, you know, discipling is a process, not a program. Sometimes we get caught up in our own discipling agenda, right? That we kind of overlook some of the immediate and general struggles that our friends have. Be flexible with the intimate needs that come up, right? Or don't be so prideful about your own uh, original plan that you fail to put down a book that is simply not helping your friend. So a kind of way to correct that will be, uh, don't let your concern with implementing your agenda cause you to be unaware of what is going on in your the person that you're discipling's life. Don't start meetings by always launching into your preset discipling agenda. Be willing to tackle unexpected crisis or day-to-day struggles that your friend might be having. But realize that a balance needs to be struck, right? Be willing to adapt to problems that arise, but don't be so flexible that you're changing topics every single week. Be discerning about how to get through material you want them to learn, while at the same time being flexible enough to address struggles that your friend that you're discipling needs to kind of go through immediately. And another correction is that uh, if the material does not seem to be helpful, don't be so prideful that you are unwilling to consider a different course of action. Maybe that plan that you have just, just isn't working. The fourth, a sense of failure. A problem, uh, the problem with this is uh, a discipling relationship it, it may not be going as good as you hope, right? Maybe you don't see any growth, or maybe you see a friend that's wrapped up seemingly and un- inescapably in a particular sin, right? Maybe you don't get along well together. You know, all these things can be discouraging, and you might feel like you failed in the discipling relationship. And for some, you might even come to a point where you are so disappointed in yourselves that you begin to doubt God's ability to work through you. So kind of correction to this is that consider that you are only one means of God's grace in that person's life. 
When you disciple with someone within the context of a church, there are usually multiple needs. You know, other relationships. You know, other you know, personal studies, preaching that is every Sunday, right? And worship services. You know, other um, core seminars like this one. And all of these can provide teaching and grounding in God's word. So it's not only you. Consider also the promise of God's word that it will not go out void. In Isaiah 55, verse 10 to 11, you can't, you can't expect that you will always see immediate and tangible fruit in your discipling. I mean, you haven't even seen that in your own lives, right? You didn't just become a Christian and you're just already there. And don't let a, a lack of tangible fruit cause you to think that you're doing no good. Trust that God's word will bear fruit. <clears throat> and try to be less focused on yourself, right? And more focus on God's word as a means of change. Pray that God would use you to minister his word and pray for a godly attitude about disciples. Amen. <laughs> and another correction would be, be willing to encourage them to meet up with someone else if it isn't, if it isn't working out with you. There's nothing wrong with ending, ending a relationship if it's just not working. The kingdom of God doesn't begin or end with us, right? If it's not you, maybe someone else can help this person grow. Maybe another relationship may kind of um, kind of stick on better than yours is. And also, um, another danger, right? is the kind of inappropriate intimacy and cross-gender discipling. Uh, you know, uh, when a man and a woman who aren't married, um, aren't siblings, right, when they study together, sharing struggles with one another, praying with one another, it presents a, a very a close setting, right? It kind of draws the two close together. And discipling someone of the opposite sex can lead to inappropriate intimacy. So a correction, right? In short, in-depth discipling with people of the opposite sex should be avoided out by all means. Again, unless you're married to that person. If there's someone of the opposite sex that needs discipling, look into your church, right? And find someone else of the same gender to help disciple them. To kind of just avoid the dangers that can arise from that. Another danger is the um, the dependency on the disciple. You know, after meeting for a while, your friend might become dependent on you for Bible study, prayer, and recognition of sin, and knowledge of truth, etc. So a way to correct this is, as disciples, we need to encourage them to build up Christian disciplines and knowledge for themselves. Right? You know, that they might have their own personal walk with Jesus Christ, because they do. You know, for things that you do together, like reading scripture, um, studying, right, praying together. Maybe have them teach you what the pastor says. And that kind of forces them to learn how to study the Bible and teach it for themselves. You know, what you don't want is someone who is so dependent on you that they stop living faithfully after they stop meeting with you. You know, God forbid, what if something happens to you? You know, like, you know, you, you die or something like that. Like, what, what are they going to do? How are they going to continue without uh, you, right? Well, that's, you make sure they're not dependent on you. They should only be dependent on Jesus Christ. Would your discipling friend continue to pursue faithfulness, right? 
Or will they stop because they're no, you're no longer around? What you want to do is to produce people who are in eager pursuit of these things, Bible study, prayer, recognition of sin, and all these things, long after your disciple relationship has ended. And the last danger is trusting you too easily. You know, just taking everything that you say for truth instead of going to scripture to test it out. You know, your friend might turn to you for the truth, right? Without considering it for themselves. You notice that they never raise questions to you. And they always take what you what you read in Christian literature to be the truth. Every time they read something that someone says, they say, oh, that's the truth. And we know that only the Bible is inspired. Only the Bible is inspired and no one else where it is. You know, at times your friend might go to extremes and fill an exclusive allegiance only to you. Here's a correction to that. When you know that someone has a high degree of trust in you, be very careful about the example that you set and the advice that you give. Emphasis to them that their accountability for their decisions they make is to God alone. And they must seek his will and not yours. You know, encourage them to always examine your conversations in light of scripture. And to make scripture the golden standard by which they compare everything. You know, also encourage their friendships with other Christians, especially those outside of your own social circle. In all of these areas, we should proceed with caution, but also proceed boldly, trusting and depending on God and, and Him alone. And while there are a lot of things to kind of, a lot of dangers, right, to watch out for, there are also joys in discipling. It's not all just kind of just watching out for the, the red rope, right? There's joys in it. One joy is, right, it cultivates a taste for the pleasures of discipling. The more you do it, the more you have a, a desire to want to do it. Despite what we, we, what we may know about the, the dangers associated with discipling relationships, we must remember that discipling is a great joy. It is a pleasure to be used by God as a source of spiritual encouragement that produces significant and lasting fruit in the life of another human being. Is this a pleasure for which you have cultivated a taste and enjoyment? You know, many people spend a considerate amount, a considerable amount of time working to acquire a taste for things, right? Like wine, caviar. Not really a big fan of it, but you may be a fan of it. <laughs> and a dozen other things, right, that are that have no a real worth. Have you worked to acquire a taste, a capacity for enjoyment in things of greater worth? Maybe even eternal worth, right? Have you cultivated a capacity to enjoy the, the pleasure of discipling? Discipling another person, being a conduit used by God to pour spiritual encouragement into another human life. This is a wonderful, potent pleasure. If you are a genuine Christian, you should have the capacity in you to find some great, uh, a very great satisfaction in this specific pleasure. Cultivate it. Decide that you will work to find someone to disciple. Another joy is, you know, you can savor the joy of seeing your church prosper. What is more, a lifestyle steeped in commitment to discipling through your local church has another significant joy. 
Not only will your commitment to discipling potentially bless that individual that you are spending time with, but there's a very um, good likelihood that your church itself will be blessed by this one individual that you're discipling. A church full of relationships where Christians are caring for and taking responsibility for each other um, will almost certainly lead to a more healthy church. When you disciple an individual in your local church, you're not just helping that one person, right? But you're helping the whole church because all of us make up this specific body. Another joy is kind of just savor the joy of being fruitful of the kingdom of God. I hope that all of us uh, desire to see fruit come from our own obedience and labor for the kingdom. Well, one of the most clearly fruitful things that we can do in our efforts for the kingdom is to encourage another person in their own discipleship. We know that God intends to keep and and preserve his own to the end, right? And we know that God will do that through means. You know, through things in this world that he has set up to accomplish spiritual ends. Things like preaching, reading the Bible, uh, fellowship, discipling relationships with other Christians. So if you want to increase the potential of your own life being fruitful and useful for the kingdom of God, then begin to build discipling relationships. Now we have seen throughout this class that God says he will use this means, discipling relationships, to build up his church. Would you consider involving yourself in God's plan for your friends? Be a source of encouragement and blessing for them, and you are very likely to be fruitful for the kingdom in big ways. I don't know if God will redeem my culture or cause um, my, my favorite political party to prevail, right? I don't know if my business skills will lead to wealth or whatever it may be. But I do know that God intends to grow and bless his people through the encouragement of other Christians. So I want to play the odds, so to speak, on what is most likely to result in good and lasting fruit in my life, encouraging, rather engaging in discipling seems to be like the most obvious thing that will prevail and will show itself to be true and will bear fruit. In our fallen state, every good thing has the potential for misuse, right? And discipling is there's no exception. Still, there is no denying that this should be a source of pleasure for a genuine Christian. To look back on a year spent in diligent labor at discipling and to see fruit to see a life that has expanded in its, in its capacity to understand and enjoy the work of God, this is real, lasting pleasure. Not that the temporary pleasures, right, of the world that will fade within a few months. Joy in discipling others will last 10,000 years and more. The kind of pleasure that will still be bringing our hearts to rejoice in God's kindness and using this for his glory, right? And another joy is kind of just savor the joy of seeing a culture of discipling in your church. 
You know, it's joyful to see the sight of relationships in our local church. When you have a culture of discipling in your local church, you have lots of people within that community that experience the joy of discipling and are eagerly pursuing it on their own. Why is it a culture of discipling so important? Uh, we want to see an entire community uh, defined by biblical markers. American culture encourages the individual pursuit of your own desires, right? But Christianity encourages the corporate pursuit of God's desires. When, when people walk into a community that is marked by discipling, it will be noticeable. People will begin to desire for themselves and hopefully they will begin to pursue it. How do you get a culture of discipling in your church? Certainly, the leadership of the church should have a vision for building a culture of discipleship and set an example of discipling others. But you also want every Christian in that church to understand what discipling is. Whether it is to be a discipler or that it wants to be discipled. This is a responsibility for everybody. And the fifth jewel is kind of spinning them up and spinning them out for God's glory. The goal for your discipling is not just growth and health in one individual, right? But replication of disciple ma disciples making disciples. Uh, this is one of the most difficult tasks in discipling. And it is a source of both the deepest sense of loss and the most profound and substantial joy. In your work in the life of another believer, your goal should be to spin them up and spin them out, potentially, ultimately, spinning them out of your life and into the life of another. In my own experience in discipling, in discipling the difficulty and the joy of this has been clear on many occasions. Let me explain what I mean by this. I am not saying that we should view our discipling relationships as uh, some temporary project. There are people that I've spent time discipling that I still meet with and enjoy the time with over the years. But if I'm really blessed by God in the discipling relationship, then the very fruit of the relationship will cause it to change, right, wonderfully over time. <laughs> the person that I was encouraging will begin to grow to the point that they begin to pour themselves into another, right? And sometimes that means that I begin to meet less often with that individual as we have limited time to give to one another because they're giving more time to others. And this doesn't mean that I dump my friend, right, after, after some set period. But it does mean that for the sake of God's kingdom, I am not clingy or possessive. If I begin to see a spiritual momentum in their life, kind of begin to spin them away from me and into a host of other fruitful relationships, I will praise God for it. Now, praise God that he favored me to be an instrument to help others. We should view our relationships as an opportunity to bless multitudes through the work of those that you yourself have encouraged. Kind of just conclude it up. Concluding thoughts on discipling. Discipling is uh, the work of the church and not just leaders. It's not just the job of the elders and, 
people who are uh, teaching in the church, right? This is a ministry that requires a lot of time and commitment from many people. It's the job of a healthy congregation to disciple one another. <coughs> Discipling can be a way to spread blessings beyond this specific church. You know, the goal isn't just to get people and keep them here, right? While I'm pretty sure we will all love to keep everybody here, the goal is for them to, if they do leave, to be a spiritual blessing to another church. To use the gifts that they use here at another church. You know, great emphasis on discipling starts with you. If all of this sounds good to you, then you realize it's probably God's will that this growth in discipling starts or even begins with you. Don't walk away from this class thinking that this is great. I hope that more people in our church do these things. Walk away from asking God to help you to be a, a catalyst in someone else's life. You go out and look for ways that you can intentionally relate to others in this church with a deliberate eye toward doing them good spiritually.